The white and crystal world above, leavened love, heaven or a snowing sky, to which seven ascending stars might lead, might bleed colors by our gentle step, or music grand suspended keys which covered virtue's pep. Heaven there, herring covens here, I fear, heaven held in sounds and shapes unfound, pianos felled and hoisted sharp. As it is, I know you just by harp. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soul Scene, the podcast imagining a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. This week we are talking about Mary Evelyn Tucker, who is the co-founder and co-director of the Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology. So today we're going to be talking about the light topic of religion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think this is the first time we've ever kind of broached that discussion on the podcast. We always joke about when we do in our future our semester on religion, but obviously it's just such an awkward topic when the premise of the podcast is designing utopia, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think we have that bit of difficulty today because even though this is our biographical semester, we're going to be talking a little bit less about Mary Evelyn from a factual kind of biographic point of view and more engaging with the ideas and themes that she's discussed throughout her long career, publishing many books, many articles and teaching for a long time. And this will also double a little bit as a book review for Mm -hmm. something that you were assigned, I believe, as a textbook for a university course. Correct. Can I hold it up? I'm holding it up. It's called Ecology and Religion. It was co-written by Mary Evelyn Tucker and John Grimm, who you had the revelation was in fact her husband or is in (laughs) fact her husband. It's a good book. I was reading it this week and have some thoughts. So we'll get into that. As I said, I think it will be difficult to talk about any kind of religious topic from a really prescriptive, like it will be this way in a utopia point of view. And even though on Solacene, we usually try and be really positive, which doesn't just mean optimistic. It means we try to talk in terms of what will exist rather than bad things that won't exist. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good place to start the conversation today by talking about some of said idols, which maybe dominates culture today and fill the void of religion for a lot of people so Mm -hmm. i had three to keep it simple and to keep it even simpler i corresponded them with famous sins okay famous what's what do you think is the most famous sin greed greed is there greed is the first one (laughs) so the first idol i was thinking about was material possession Mm -hmm. the physical world and our coveting its riches and splendors hedonism i guess or just us being like dragons and really wanting gold coins whether they are real or in fact just chocolate wrapped in gold which Mm -hmm. is my experience with said coins yeah my first thought of talking about religion today is was about greed as well but more about the flesh in air quotes yeah and how i feel like recently a lot of religions have been trying to like it's always been common to like deny the flesh, to mm-hmm. deny like material accumulation of wealth, material sins. But I think we've kind of in a way started to associate the flesh with just like the whole experience living on earth. So it's like we're trying to yeah. like transcend that. Yeah. Well, one thing Evelyn, one thing Mary Evelyn notes in the book is that there's a kind of accelerationist sect of some religions, Christianity is what she noted, wherein people are like, oh, it's a good thing the earth is being degraded. That will bring about quicker the end times and paradise on earth and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
and this is what I was trying to kind of counter in my poem where it was describing heaven only in context of pianos and harps as in our relationship with the divinity or at least the only way that we can describe it so often is with like physical or at least earthly reference points Mm -hmm. so there's a quote also from the book i wanted to read where it says most religious traditions have developed sacramental sensibilities in which material reality mediates the sacred this is evident in the use of water for baptism and oil for anointing the sick moreover offering food and flowers and lighting incense and candles are widespread sacramental practices in the world religions such affirmation of material reality is a critical component of our valuing nature. So i.e. nature must be worth something if it's how we interact so often with our God. I didn't know whether to say God or gods. I don't know. I didn't want to um <laughs> I didn't want to offset anyone. But yeah, it's it's like this idea of world denying versus world accepting and perhaps there can be nuance within that i think is what you were mentioning yeah, exactly and i think it is dangerous to to be completely world denying because no religion says to deny like the sick to deny those who are unhoused or what have you hmm. but we're starting to almost i think as a way of like kind of defending ourselves because of how inundated we are with bad news we're just like we'll pray for them. We'll yeah. We're taking it all a bit fourth dimensional and trying like not using of, our hands enough. You mean yeah, escaping the three dimensions that we were given. And I don't think God put the planet here to be like, no, all of this is temptation. The birds, temptation. Exactly. Like that's not it. That doesn't make any real sense. I think in this sense or in this topic, we'll be jumping around between religions a lot here. But mm-hmm. the idea of the eastern, the middle way is very key for like material um how we how we tread on earth and how we engage with things like bird song and really pretty mosaics and nice tasting kombucha yeah. where it's like you don't want to be a, a hoarding dragon and you yeah. don't want to be as you said pursuing the flesh to the detriment of the spirit mm-hmm. but also gratitude is very key and as the bible states being a steward of such things is very critical and kind of one of the one of the main points of this book mm-hmm. that Mary Evelyn wrote. So I think that correlates with greed. And even though I kind of have written down here the oldest sin question mark, although I don't think that's a true answer or even a relevant <laughs> question, but it does feel like it's an old thing. It does. Even though it's they're all old. Like it's they're all kind of innate to human human nature, nature. yeah. Because you see kids doing these things mm-hmm. kind of innately of like not wanting to share Perhaps, I mean, it's always shocking when you see a kid from like birth to three when they start lying, <laughs> which is just so strange. It's like, where did you get the idea to tell me that you didn't, that you did brush your teeth, but like I just right. watched you not brush them? Yeah. So these are all uh, inbuilt flaws that we have, mm-hmm. but I was kind of noting some of the modern manifestations of them. Yeah. And one is my email inbox is very, very often inundated with big sales particularly end of season mid-season and start of season sales and it's like this is just that's every that's all of season yeah that's all the time um but they 
what really struck me this week, I saw when it was like 50, 60% off in the really thick red font that they usually do and trying to excite you with images of these things. And I noted in myself that at one point I would have actually been quite uh, lit up by the idea. Like I would have been quite excited. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, and I'm I'm by no means perfect in this regard, but I think it's a it's indicative of where a lot of people are at. We just kind of roll our eyes at it, or you're kind of bored, or you're dull at the idea of it. And I think that's a good thing that we're getting a little bit away from that really feral Black Friday like squabbling over TVs thing. Mm-hmm. Or, or so it, it feels like that way to me anyway, that people are just a little bit more done with it. But it was that marketing attempt to pierce through what I'm going to call the spiritual malaise that I really noted. And even though I think it's good that people aren't maybe buying into retail therapy like we once were, we're also not properly addressing the spiritual malaise as we should be. And another point of this is influencers online. Obviously, this is a very modern thing. And there's the really direct materialistic ones, like Mm -hmm. marketing towards young men. You have like rich people on podcasts talking about their cars and their suits and all that kind of stuff. But then I think there's also indirect marketing, like often recommended on your YouTube algorithm, yours specifically, calling you out, Alicia, (laughs) will be like really ostensibly cozy kind of housewifey videos from around the world, be they in the West or be they in Korea. But then you read the description of the video and it'll be like sponsored by Downey or sponsored by Tide. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because it feels like they're selling uh, a lifestyle, but really they are doing it through material means. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? After you watched that vlog, did you want to buy Downey fabric softener? I didn't. Did it kind of smell a little bit like Downey fabric softener? Oh yeah, you can always... Like, especially the really aesthetic-driven vlogs, you can always smell the thing that they're selling. So maybe they're that week going to be selling a vacuum, mm-hmm. and you can smell the vacuum. You can, like, smell yeah. the house. Is, it has no smell besides that, like, slight burning smell. It's, of, like, it, it's, it's the new catalog. Yeah. People don't sc- scroll through catalogs anymore, but they'll watch a 15-minute vid- video of their influencer of choice uh, displaying the wares, essentially. For sure. It's interesting that you mentioned those style of vlogs and influencers because I think that is the new wave. Mm. Whereas the wave was hauls, look at my makeup stash, look at my pantry that's super stocked and overflowing. But now there was like the minimalism flow, which was the opposite. Yeah. And then they were promoting a bit more perhaps services. But now we're back to it's like a post minimalism kind of situation. Yeah, it's much more subtle. Another sin. Yeah. Give, give me one. <laughs> um, sloth. Sloth was the next one. You might get three out of three, which would be... Well, I know you pretty well, and those true. are your favorite sins. You also do have a habit of snooping through my notes. So I I'm never, ever... <laughs> blame you for that. I never, ever snoop Aaron's notes. Once in a while, I'll be like, oh, what was the topic, or what was like the three questions we're going right. to ask, and I'll look at your notes. Yeah. But I have no interest in knowing what you're going to say ahead of time, because I, then mm-hmm. it makes the conversation not a conversation. It's like we're just repeating what the other person was going to say. You snoop. But anyway, so for Sloth, the idol that I was thinking about was, of course, the internet. Mm-hmm. And this is a bit of a multifaceted idol because on the one hand, as I mentioned in the influences and the online shopping, it can let you view other idols or engage in other sins. 
but also I think in itself, it kind of is an idol. I remember when I was growing up, um, and this is why I think we were so lucky to be born when we were, because we weren't raised in this normalized iPad kids time. My older sister who got a phone maybe in like 2009 and between then and 2012 or 13 or so, she was always arguing with my parents and they would be like, oh, you're, you use it too much. You're kind of addicted. And if we were to, let's say, reprimand you, take it away, ground you in a sense, you'd be agitated to an extent that isn't healthy or isn't normal. Mm. And they were obviously correct, but it's like, look at it now because they are in the same boat now. I'm talking about, it's not just teenagers now. Yeah, Young sure. kids, grown-ups, older people, everyone now, I think if they were to be forcibly removed from that access to the internet, I feel like they would, um, in the short term, be quite aggrieved by it, struggle yeah, with it. that's a really good way of putting it, of like you'd be disproportionately upset for exactly. what it actually is. It's mm-hmm. just a small, tiny device. It's like, say, when you were a kid, if they said, we're going to take away your Game Boy, you'd be upset, but it'd be similar to taking away any other toy. My PSP. Yeah, your PSP. Although I do remember, I hope my parents don't listen to this, but I used to hide it under my pillow at night sometimes to play, which is really like indoor kid behavior. But Yeah. You probably also read under your sheets, didn't you? Read under my sheets? Yeah, like with a flashlight. No. You give off those vibes. (laughs) (laughs) But I think also a part of that with the connection to the phone and the internet is by removing a kid's cell phone you're removing their social exactly that's 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 what i was getting at because now i think such the the conversation or the way that my parents used to talk about it would be like oh you're just being cruel to your kid you want them Mm -hmm. to be a social outcast because that's what they'll be if they don't if they're not able to reference whatever tiktok is trending today or not able to text their friends all the time Mm -hmm. so we've kind of built this situation where there's the direct communication with our classmates, with our friends, with our family, mostly virtual. But there's also that distanced uh, engagement or observation of culture where one can see and not be seen that I think a lot of us are quite um, understatedly addicted to, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. Another YouTube uh, reference, study with me, clean with me. These yeah. videos where it's like, because maybe in real life you don't actually have anybody to study or clean with, you'll watch some random person do it for an hour while you Mm -hmm. study or clean. And it's quite sad. And it's also a bit of a feedback loop where you might say someone is drawn to these because they don't have friends. Mm -hmm. But also if you are constantly listening to podcasts on all your favorite topics and watching streamers who play the same kind of games as you, you're unlikely to feel that urge to go out and make such friends. Yeah, for sure. Can I do a Soul Scene Recommends on that topic? Mm -hmm. Soul Scene Recommends letting your friend cut your hair. So this is a story because this week I had my friend cut my hair and she's not a professional. She's done it a few times for herself and other friends. And so I was like, hey, like you seem like you'd be really good at cutting hair. Can you cut mine? She's like, yeah, sure, of course. And then like in the group chat where we were planning this, because I just was like mentioning I was just messaging her in the group chat because that's just like how we communicate. But then all my other friends were like, I want to come. I want to watch. And I feel like that's just such a funny, like, as you're saying lately, what we do is we watch people play games, watch people cook on like YouTube. Yeah. It was like a real life 
YouTube video because literally just three of my friends sat there for like three hours. I get your point, but I hate that sentence. It was like a real life YouTube video. It's probably one of the most dystopian (laughs) things I've ever heard regarding what sounds like quite an ordinary socializing. No, I know. This is what I'm trying to get at. It's like, we need to just try and like do normal human things because this is not, it's not an event. It should (laughs) honestly not have been worth watching, but it's just like, we're, I think we're at a point where we need to make such conscious efforts to do real life things together. Yeah, I think this is why I kind of tied the internet to sloth is because it reinforces us all as these non-actors or just as mm-hmm. uh, passive observers. And like the fun part about this is, okay, halfway through, guys, is this straight? People can kind of put their input in. Like it, it's a real life thing. Like I know this yeah. is, it's kind of a silly like example and it's it's very strange but i feel like it's a good example of practically how it's different being in person versus watching something online like even something i used to always do in nova scotia was like run errands with my friends we'd all just like go grocery shopping together go thrifting together literally go to like the dentist or something and just so you have another person there and obviously in real life you're not just watching you're participating you're also shopping maybe you're giving advice or giving support mm-hmm. and it's just like i guess Solstein recommends real life yeah <laughs> do something week. yeah do something with your life yeah so is that all you have on sloth that's what i have on sloth and the final one see if you can guess it give me a sin vanity yes i mean i have that written down but pride is the, is the sin yeah, right? okay. of the seven but yeah, you got it basically, um, <laughs> which should have been maybe the most obvious because people say that in Christianity anyway, they say pride is the root of all sin. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, it really uh, blew my mind as a teenager. I remember and, you being like, no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. It was, a really, it was an ironic reaction. Um, but this one I think is is maybe a slightly the only one that people may disagree with a little bit because yeah, it manifests so much as vanity and obsession with the self, but Today, this is fitness, health, and looking nice all the time. And something I told you last week that I really, really, probably my least favorite thing about doing this podcast and filming it for the YouTube, uh, so it's seen on YouTube, if anyone wants to watch as well as listen, is that I have to prune myself slightly before, (laughs) um, before recording, because usually I walk around like that kid from peanuts with the cloud of dust who just brings dirt and and just just a just a general residual filth everywhere he goes but i'm like oh the camera's actually going to be quite close on me now i can't just walk around with my bloody nose from hours ago (laughs) (laughs) shout shout out to my nosebleed this morning no but it's true and i think often when you hear pride because we all have zero self-confidence now at the same time it's weird we're all very vain but we also have no confidence that was that was my this is what i wrote down because i used to think of myself oh i'm definitely not not proud at all because i'm i'm too insecure for that Mm -hmm. but now i'm thinking insecurities if not the root of all pride it's the root of much pride Mm -hmm. and so i was thinking about what in the modern world could be making us feel insecure to where we need to feel we need to go to the gym obsessively or make sure our skin is perfect all the time and makeup and clothes and all that kind of stuff. And I know, as again, it's an old 
uh, vice of humans that we want to look nice. And in itself, it's not that bad. It's the self-absorption that comes with it. But it just feels like today it's too all-encompassing. And I think part of the reason is we don't have many other opportunities for power. We feel so um, small and powerless when so much of our engagement with the world is is just non-engagement at all. Mm-hmm. That one way to feel like a man or to feel like a woman is to go to the gym and like physically construct yourself into something. And I, I, I'm a, a proponent of fitness. I think it's a it's a very healthy part of life. And to an extent today, we're obviously too sedentary and unhealthy. But I also think that almost like Paltrow-esque obsession with finding the new, the new clean food or the new detoxifier mm-hmm. is pretty much just vanity just with a new face yeah well like orthorexia is literally a new classification of eating disorder that has come about pretty much one for one since i guess it would have begun with like the 90s and diet culture and stuff Mm. but it's really taken a toll on like young populations as the internet has grown a few weeks ago there was that news about young girls buying like anti-aging medicine and anti-aging creams yeah which is really sad but you also have obviously that one guy who's in his 40s trying to make himself biologically 18 Mm -hmm. and just a bunch of creepy examples like this where i think it's there's another side to this which is all about point of reference so just as that local musician the busker or the guy on your street who plays the drums is no longer that impressive because you have permanent access to watching John Mayer on guitar or some Mm -hmm. famous soloist or or jazz musician. I think there's been this kind of awful change of standard where your typical healthy or good-looking person feels similarly underwhelming. Yeah, You know what I mean? That makes sense. I mean, when we're so used to seeing people, no exaggeration, spray-painted on magazine covers or on Instagram. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's and it goes beyond body dysmorphia because it's shared. And I think body dysmorphia people usually talk about like, oh, he feels mm-hmm. too small, even though he's actually quite muscular or something. Yeah, but it's a sure. shared thing where other people looking at him now think he's quite small because they see bodybuilders on IG all the time. Mm-hmm. And where this becomes dangerous, obviously, is that you're not even competing with a global top one percent of x you're competing with photoshop surgery Mm -hmm. various other you know means that most people don't or shouldn't have access to yeah and i think what you're getting at is this leads to like the harm of it is you're never ever ever going to be satisfied yeah even you your boyfriend you love them think they're cute but then it's like well he's no harry styles it's like but you've never met harry styles like, you don't know how he actually looks. Exactly. That. That's a good and point. That's the point. With with pop culture uh, just changing expectations, it's not good. And no. the, the pretty much the only answer I have for it is don't engage with it at yeah, all. I because agree. Um, also the irony regarding kind of people's looks is that I think it's rarer today to find a genuinely kind smile and screenless uh, bright eyes than it is to find someone with a perfect body or like Instagram face. Yeah, fair. 
So I liked that you started with these three major modern sins as a segue into talking about ecology and religion because someone might say, okay, the materialist one, that makes sense, related to ecology Mm -hmm. and religion. But the other two perhaps don't necessarily make a ton of connection to both of those topics. But I think ecology and religion are antidotes to all three. Yeah, I mentioned these more as, that's why I said idols, because even though they seem like they're disparate to the topic of ecology, it's about how they are filling a, a void, really. But they're, they're unfulfilling. Yeah, for sure. Because perhaps our energy traditionally was towards, like the pride aspect could have been like the Pharisees in the Bible of like, you're so focused on becoming religiously perfect and like sinless that you become prideful. But exactly. now it's more like there's no idol. There's no, like I, I'm using idol in the sense of like, there's no God to be like trying to like get better for. So the idol becomes yourself. No ideal. Yeah, no yeah. ideal. We don't look outward enough. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think sloth especially is a symptom of individualism because if you care about another person, it's hard to be inactive. And it's, but I think there's a, a middle way, as you said earlier, of like you, your brain can't handle caring about the millions of people dying every day. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain people who have that capacity and like perhaps at a certain point in your like um, intellectual and spiritual evolution, you can have the capacity to care about that. But like not everyone can. But I think we shut down when we're exposed to like the mass death and the mass like ecological tragedy and then we just can only care about waking up in the morning and brushing our teeth which is i mean like that's depression and it's very common it's an epidemic yeah but i think we need to from like a young age with kids and perhaps with ourselves because we have grown up with the internet in a way that like there was no literally no guidebook it was very hard for parents to Mm -hmm. shelter us from it we have to treat ourselves now as kids and reset our brains in a way. I think it's it's another area where the point of reference is relevant because when you think about today a story or an image of someone changing the world for the better, our images are Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man saving the world with these really grandiose involvements. And it's actually one of the reasons that I like today's subject, Mary Evelyn Tucker, because she isn't teddy roosevelt yeah you know what i mean like she teaches she writes but it's about how you can enact positive change by perhaps joining an organization that already exists you don't have to actually found a new one for sure so that's something with her when i was looking into like the various various groups committees um advisory boards that she's a member of yeah and teaches at yale like she didn't have to start her own university or something like that Mm -hmm. you can use these institutions which already exist and it's something like with celebrities when every single one has his or her own charity and i always think there are a lot of charities already Mm -hmm. no offense to you but it does feed into that awful cynical tax um, Mm write-off reaction that you might have initially This is a good segue into talking about Mary Evelyn Tucker's life, because as you started off by saying, yeah, it's not, she's not a person who has biographies written about her. So like the, the sources we had to draw on were mainly like small introductions of her on 
university and organization websites, as well as listening to her speeches and her presentations and gleaning a bit about her experience from that. But I still think it is really interesting and inspiring as an individual, as are all of the people so far that we've talked about on the semester of like, yeah, their work is really interesting and inspiring, but so are their lives. So with Mary Evelyn, she was born June 24th, 1949 in New York City. And she then just like had a pretty average childhood is what I gathered from her her talking. But she went to get a Bachelor of Arts in English. Then she did a Master's in English. She's just one of those people who have like a million degrees. But basically, she started out in English. Then she went to Japan to teach English for two years and then started to learn about Eastern religions because she grew up obviously in America where especially in like the 70s like there wasn't a ton of information on eastern religions it was just kind of the beginning of the spread of buddhism and but it was still like very early on so she hadn't really heard about it until she actually went to japan and started learning about what became her real focus of study which is confucianism but in japan she was doing a master's in history and religion so she kind of transitioned from art to history to history and religion and then obviously religion and ecology. Mm-hmm. But while she was studying history and religion, she came across Thomas Berry, who we'll talk a bit about later. But he, she started reading his papers, which were all about creating this vision of evolution that inspires us. It's kind of like a secular religion that he was trying to like put forward, but he was also a Catholic priest. So he wasn't secular, but he was yeah. trying to say, basically, if we really grasp the idea that like science like that we're all made up of atoms then you would feel terrible killing even like an ant so it's this kind of atheistic jainism that he's trying to like put forward it's really hard to explain yeah, like i don't think it was secular i think it was it was universalist because though he yeah, was universalist though, is the word for though it. he was catholic he was a seemed to be a, a scholar and an appreciator of all world religions mm-hmm. and also just reading about him makes him seem like his ideas were quite so seen, even if they weren't exactly so seen, it was kind of <laughs> adjacent to what we try and do with so seen because he was so fixated on the notions of story. What kind of story do we feel mm-hmm. that we are living right now? Which is pretty much what we try and do in this podcast is tell a story for the future. Yeah. So she started reading his papers, which were all kind of getting at this one culmination of his work, which is journey of the universe, which was a multidisciplinary project of a film a series of interviews available on DVD, a book, podcast, like all this stuff. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't like heartily recommend watching the Journey of the Universe <laughs> documentary. It's like I suppose dated in terms of like its filmmaking. Yeah, it felt like something I would have been shown in middle school. Yeah, if that's your style, those people really like the PBS style. No, oh, like, yeah. go for it. But it wasn't bad. No, it just it was very Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think. Well, one of the directors on this were also in the um, Carl Sagan Cosmos, which everyone has watched, and it had a really similar vibe to that. But anyway, like that was what that was kind of the culmination of his work. So if you want to like not read all of it, you can kind of go to that website and project and learn a bit about his work. But what I found cool about this segment of her life is she starts reading these manuscripts because they weren't even fully published yet. And she says, I'm going to write him a letter. Mm-hmm. And he gets the letter and replies. And she said this was like the first big miracle of her life was that he replied. And I think that's a very soul scene thing. And it's part of kind of just like the huge, the 
vastness of the world now of like, if you send a famous author something, they're not going to read it. Have you ever sent one? No. I, I sent one letter. You sent a letter? Yeah. To who? No, it wasn't to an author though. Oh. But it was a, it was an assignment that we had in grade six, which was to choose somebody that we admired like that and send them a letter. Mm-hmm. Did you hear back? No. Yeah. It was um, Neymar. Oh, well, the, does the he even have football mail? Player. Like, how do you I don't know if mail he, Neymar? I, <laughs> <laughs> His address is just... <laughs> just send it to the, camp, the, the stadium at the time that yeah. he was playing it. Um, I don't know if, he's, if he spoke or speaks English, to be honest. That's a good point. In, like, 2013, so... Yeah. Shout out Neymar, thanks for never advice. <laughs> you just put on, like, the... Put on the envelope, Cap New, question mark? But I think I think a lot of authors would. Okay. I, I think the very big, like Stephen King is probably not going to, but I, I doubt no, okay. that many authors. Like, I think if we mailed Mary Evelyn Tucker, True. like, how much mail is she getting? Okay. So that's the solo scene. Another solo scene recommends send a letter. Or we can send this to, send this podcast to her. Yeah, I think we should because why not? I mean, I really admire her, as you know, because I was like, we need to do this episode on her. Yeah. And... Yeah, I should. She spoke in Ottawa like a few weeks ago, so I should have. I think it might have ended up being virtual, but anyway, <laughs> it's my my new goal is to like go to one of her talks. But basically, first lesson is just like go out on a whim, because like yeah, there was no guarantee that he was going to reply. He was like the leader of this pretty big interfaith research institute, but he replied. They corresponded, and then she ended up going to visit him at the institute where she was. She ended up studying and working for years and years and years. And then a few years later, she's like, this, this institute, I feel like this is such a soul scene thing. There's going to be so many institutes in the soul scene. <laughs> so like, it's the way she's describing it is as if it's like the headquarters of some kind of like international organization. She's like, so one day I was like in this room studying Sanskrit with like this, this leader. And then like into the doors walks John at the time they didn't know each other. And he had just finished hiking through like, the mountains for three months so he had like bare feet and he just walks in mm-hmm. to join them that'd like, be me in the soul scene bare feet but you know what i mean it's just like there was way more serendipity it seems yes because if you just walked into like uh, a research room at like yale now they'd be like security put some shoes on yeah that's <laughs> that's definitely the case but also i loved her phrasing that him replying to the letter was the first miracle of her life yeah but these words miracle serendipity this is going to get a little bit like motivational and just do it but she had to send the letter. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I mean, a real miracle would have been if he just sent her exactly. out of the blue. Like, you, you have to, um, you make your own luck, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Send that letter. Send the letter, like, and read stuff. Like, a lot of the time when we say, oh, the other day I was reading, you watched a TikTok about it. Or maybe you saw a Vox article. Are you talking to me? No, just oh. <laughs> one. Oh, yeah. You sound like you were kind of pointing at me. No, yeah, I'm, you watched a TikTok. <laughs> no but you know what i mean it's like i was reading the other day it's because no one wants to say i was what scrolling on tiktok for three hours a day and i saw this tiktok about whatever but i'm talking to myself that's why i'm saying we and you because okay. i'm mainly speaking to myself i'm like if you're interested in something then read a book like read a book about it and like consider the people who wrote it because until university i never considered authors i was like it's just kind of a name on the cover it's true but then I realized, I'm like, oh, I like this author. I like Andre Asiman. I should read some of his other books. Instead of just be like, oh, that was a good book. It's like, well, you can then study him. Here's going to be a, another solo scene recommends. Maybe the most controversial one yet. 
The Fault in Our Stars. Okay. I think, Why? do you think, I don't know if this concept still exists, but I feel like that would classify as a guilty pleasure of mine because I really, really liked that movie when I watched it and I thought it was inspirational. It's about these people who are dying. One of them dies. And um, they love a book. Mm-hmm. So they contact the author who lives in the Netherlands and he says, come and meet me. Mm-hmm. And then if you go there, you never know. It might be Willem Dafoe. Yeah. And that would just, it's a double whammy. <laughs> get to meet the author, get to meet Willem. Yeah, Dafoe. exactly. <laughs> I feel like if any movie, it could be the worst movie ever. But if Willem makes an appearance, you're like, it's my guilty pleasure. Well, it's obviously not the worst movie ever if he's in it. That's a good point. He signed on for a reason. Yeah. Wow. Fault in our stars. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was a really interesting, like, period of her life. It was a lot of serendipity, but also, obviously, action. Like, she had to go to Japan to teach. She couldn't just be like, oh, I'm interested in Japanese culture. I'm going to read a book. Like, she, like, went there. And then <laughs> yeah, she, let me like, watch some anime. Yeah. So she took the steps, and then she... I'll move on to, like, the next major chapter, which was when her and John decided to... Basically, she was like, I want to create a new field that helps with environmental policy which is very broad it's very similar to i mean that's very self-aggrandizing but it's similar to what we were doing with solacy when we started it of being like we want to do something new that will like inspire change and like kind of be a new way of going about it yeah and so by like every week trying to envision a utopia we're building up something that can hopefully in the long term inspire policy and inspire institutional reorganization that's what she was thinking with this. So her passions were faith, and but she wanted to try and stop climate change. And so this is a similar thing that I feel like I say every week with these biographies. It's like finding your front line. Like she didn't try and become a politician. She didn't try and, as you were saying, until like later in her life, she didn't try and like start an organization. Well, you play to your strengths a little bit. Is it yeah. research? Is it drawing dragonflies? Yeah. So she wanted to start this and instead of going for the moon she was like i'm going to do this series of 10 conferences basically on ecology and religion and was fortunately able to like do this and at the end of the 10 conferences she and john launched the forum on ecology and religion at yale in 1998 and then this forum has launched international discourse on the topic courses in ecology and religion are taught on three continents which is how I originally learned about the concept was it being taught at a university in Halifax. So I was inspired by MET. Yeah. Wow. So it was just like she changed it. Like this wasn't really a thing on the agendas of interfaith boards all over the world or even before her. Like it's not like the church was putting out statements like they are now saying we're committed to climate justice and peace and so on. Well, I think it was a wave also. I don't think it was just a one-person thing. I feel like from the 70s onwards, there was a kind of awakening about Mm -hmm. environmental degradation and also with, you mentioned earlier, kind of this influx of Eastern philosophy coming over in in trends to the West. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that we find in that a thread of ecological religion. Yeah, for sure. But impact on academia, yeah, of course. And the final thing I want to talk about in her life is something that I think is reflected in a lot of climate activists' lives, which is people begin their work in like civil and social justice. 
But then they realize that there's no like social justice without climate justice. And then they move on to that kind of like slightly higher step. But then I feel like the next highest, the next step up is like talking about religion and like the, because there's like the systems of like policy of economics and so on. But then above that, everything is kind of informed by faith. And she really took that step to say, in order to have economic change and social change, we need to change how, like exactly how we're talking about our faith. Mm-hmm. And so I'll use Christianity as an example because that's what I'm most familiar with. But it's like growing up, there wasn't a ton of mention about stewardship, about the practical lessons that the Bible lays out surrounding how to be a good steward of the earth and care for yeah. the planet and people. It was more focused on higher level things like prayer about like self-actualization those types of things yeah and if it's worldly topics if it is political topics it's Mm -hmm. it's whatever's whatever's trending for that day Mm -hmm. basically yeah like in the in the 1800s she mentions this in the book the quakers and their role in slavery and civil rights Mm -hmm. like if that is the trending political discourse of the day Mm -hmm. people will read the bible into it and they'll you know the bible's so big so big that they can often use it to support whatever their cause is mm-hmm. but i think that for a lot of people yeah it does come down to basically what they consider to be their instruction from above mm-hmm. yeah and i think as if you are a leader in a faith it can be easy to get stuck on one end or the other to be stuck on just the really high level stuff or on the very like this is how it's applying to this thing that happened yesterday yeah but with climate change obviously it's ongoing it has been for hundreds of years since mm-hmm. like the industrial revolution and so it would get a bit, like it kind of goes by the wayside. You don't think about it too much. It also has an innately religious feel to it because so much of what you're talking about is not what happened yesterday or today, but what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, right? true. It's kind of a prophetic uh, topic. Yeah, for sure. So kind of one of the central theses of this book, Ecology and Religion, is defining what is a religious ecology, which means a philosophy or a lifestyle which is informed by religion but kind of geared towards fostering uh, sustainability in nature which is very relevant to this podcast because it means we get to design such a religious ecology that may exist in the solar scene Mm -hmm. as i said before we don't want to get into specifics and just say everyone will be catholic or something like that (laughs) but i have listed three more general principles that we can take from various religions and then all or all the religions and three more specific ones that we could take from certain religions okay i'll start with something broad as well because i think yeah as you're saying there's never going to be one prescription that just like wouldn't work for humanity like there's a reason that even yeah. within christianity there's like thousands of different types because it's like you and i were talking a lot this week about how like what makes up what means indigenous religion and it means the religion indigenous to it like literally to a specific area so it's like yeah there's the north american indigenous religions but there's also eastern ones like Mm -hmm. shintoism is indigenous to japan yeah and if it's practiced there it's an indigenous religion and so i think the reason that there's been so many differences in like that crop up as things spread like as christianity spread across the world it there's like greek orthodox there's like all these different types it's because it has to change for like the literal landscape and the lifestyles of those people and so it's also informed by the religions that they had before exactly a certain parts of christianity this is really like armchair anthropology but certain parts of christianity will appeal to people in 
Latin America who had a certain kind of pantheon. Maybe they'll be more fixated on the saints or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, that's why there's no one prescription. But this really great idea that I kind of had while listening to a bunch of Mary Evelyn's talks, it was like very inspired by something she was saying as religion is a renewable energy for humans, which I (laughs) thought was such like a well put thing of like, yeah, like often our energy can come from anger. So you're going to go to a climate march because you're angry or you're going to even like you come home and your apartment's messy and you're like, Ugh, like it's disgust. And then you're going to like clean it from that. Yeah. But what we need is something renewable because we can't always rely on those fleeting emotions. But with religion and faith in something bigger than yourself, that like that's a that's why it's called like, yeah, hope an infinite is, well, hope is a very sustainable emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think trying to channel that and not distance ourselves from it by saying oh it has all these things wrong with it it's useless because i just don't think it's useless i think there's a reason that every human society has had of course a religion and like and as we said as i kind of this is why i started the episode how i did even in our so-called secular society that we uh, seem to be living in today people may not be going to church but they sure are putting certain things worshiping certain things let's say Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there it's still obviously a bit in the early days of turns of like studying literal like neuro science behind like faith and stuff but from the early stuff that's going on now is like in mri machines if you have someone meditating or someone praying you can see certain parts of their brains lighting up that are it's impossible to activate without faith yeah the the religious impulse i guess the the biological basis for that so that's my first solacene lesson is in the solacene there will be two renewable energies solar and faith (laughs) (laughs) yeah we don't need wind anymore um just the jesus turbine so (laughs) the first kind of general principle i want to take is ritual especially that which grounds us in the world around us or community and i think ritual can feel really silly when you're making a conscious effort to try and enact it without having like a a long tradition Mm. but i'll quote taylor swift where she said you should embrace the cringe if it feels a little bit cringe you might be doing something right so that's that's one of my points and i'll take that for my own fledgling religion because you mentioned the many 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 denominations of christianity mine is called zen christianity Mm. so if anyone's curious about that Email me and we can get some robes. The second... <laughs> I'll need 11 people to email me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, second principle is language. And I mentioned earlier the idea of the detox. I think it feels so much emptier and less important than saying something is a fast. Mm. Like if you're in... No, I can't do that. I'm fasting. Like yeah. that's so much... Because you are not the center of it. You're fasting mm-hmm. for a purpose that isn't just to clean out your liver. You know what I mean? Like there's a, a spiritual um, point to it all. Mm-hmm. And just in general, the way that we talk seems so frivolous and self-absorbed at times. We did a whole episode on speech, so I'll refer people to that. But another example is like the New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. It just feels like one of the reasons people don't stick to it is that 
even the name for it is thin. It's like, well, why are you res- why are you resolved to do this just because it's a new year? That's so arbitrary a thing. Whereas if it was like an ordainment mm. or an imperative from above, you're gonna go to the gym every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a lot of the online influencers who are really into natural health or really extreme diets and stuff, they often are religious when you get down to it. Yeah, yeah. And it might just be like they're religious about it, but I think a lot of them literally are Christians and they're just Mm. like, yeah, my body's a temple. It says so in the Bible, so I need to take care of it. But then that I think needs to extend to the earth as a temple Mm -hmm. and as an extension of God's work. But we often just are like, no, it just applies to me because that's just kind of how we've been conditioned lately to think of like, "Mm, I have to think about myself first because if I'm not functioning, then like nothing else will. But I think, yeah, that's true to an extent, but we get too caught up in it. Third general principle, gratitude. I don't know if it's because our lives in the West, for many of us, they're too easy, mm-hmm. that you never feel that anything is hard-earned and therefore you don't appreciate it enough. Or maybe it's because of the disconnect between ourselves eating the egg and the chicken being being reared and the ed- egg being harvested. But mm-hmm. we kind of reserve thanks for holidays Thanksgiving particularly is a holiday that I really like but surely it shouldn't be so out of the ordinary that before eating our very splendid and almost historically unmatched meal we have some thanks for it and also just for the miracle of life in general Mm -hmm. and then regarding specific things we can take from religions firstly is this idea from her book of the four elements earth wind fire and air (laughs) no i'm joking that was a a hex girls reference earth (laughs) wind fire and water which she there's a quote it says these are biocultural symbols corresponding to religious ecological processes of orienting grounding nurturing transforming i really like aesthetic and ethical connections and that's Mm -hmm. what this is it's kind of saying when you engage with these elements you are maybe not consciously, although now I've said it, it may be conscious for you. You are kind of subconsciously connecting yourself to orientation, i.e. the sky associates with looking up and aiming up, being oriented in the proper way. Mm-hmm. Grounding, obviously the earth, touch the tree, barefoot on the grass, and it feels pleasant. Mm-hmm. Nurturing for water, I guess because water is used to make food and also you drink it. And transforming for fire because it changes materials like a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. So cool. And I wanted to call this a Buddhist idea, but I don't think it is. But I think it's an example of connecting the self slash the body to the world around us that I find is paralleled in a lot of Buddhist forms. The mm-hmm. chants, the meditation, the temples, the zen gardens like there's a association here i think Mm. and secondly mary evelyn talks a lot about confucianism particularly how it is fostered through community and it's kind of a chicken or egg situation where if you start to dissipate the communities the religion starts to dissipate but also it's the same vice versa Mm -hmm. so confucianism being so focused on relationships between friends and families and it really being a 
philosophy that manifests in said interactions, I think is a Solacene concept. Yeah, for of sure. course. And I think it's just hard to be engaged with such religions when your biggest community or your sense of place is a website, a Discord. It's just, mm. it's too unreal kind yeah. of thing. And thirdly, taking from Christianity, it's emphasis on stories and archetypes, the garden, the fall, sin, redemption. And what I find so inspiring about these is that you can apply them and are indeed encouraged to apply them to your own life and to our own time. So for instance, people today feel that we are born into a world where previous generations have given us a certain debt to repay or a massive obstacle to overcome in their exploitation of the environment. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of Christian parallels there that I think can pivot what may, can transform what might otherwise be negativity into hope. Yeah. I really think that's a good kind of universal point as well of a lot of religions, you can kind of read them one way, but they're meant to be read for everyone. So it's like, perhaps for you, for example, you're more aesthetically oriented. So you perhaps see a story and interpret it for the aesthetic and the universal principles of it instead of the explicit, but it can also be read explicitly. Like there's sects of Christianity that read the Bible explicitly and word for word apply it to their lives. And that's like one way of doing it. And there's other ways of being like, okay, this is a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's the, the ones that do both. It's like some parts we're going to take literally, some parts we're going to take yeah. metaphorically. And then also seeing the symbolism, like seeing it as a work of literature. And Mary Evelyn was saying, you can read the Bible and it's like, even if you are completely like above the world, you can still see throughout it, water is a really important symbol. And so you say, okay, the water is polluted. Like that is, that's disrespecting yeah. God. And then there's Zen Christianity. Yeah. Which we're still kind of working out the kinks. <laughs> are we into Gregorian chant or what are we, what are we mm, doing here? Yeah. My next point for like a kind of Solacene principle is seeing God in everything. There's obviously the animistic religions, which just explicitly say this has a soul, that has a soul, that is a God, that is a God. So like there's that way of doing it. But then I think often um, monotheistic religions really shy away from seeing God in inanimate things because it then can lead to idol. Yeah, of course. Idol building, which I think is like not great because you shouldn't be really idolizing something that is inanimate. But I think we get that confused with respecting it. Yeah, I think like if you, let's say you were like Geppetto's cousin, yeah. right? like his distant cousin, and then you went to visit him and there are his puppets which and his clocks, which he really labored over for hours and hours. And then you kind of, used one for firewood mm -hmm. it's not that that clock was your uncle mm -hmm. but he made it mm -hmm. so you should still have if you were maybe really desperate for firewood at least thanked him for it it's true or asked you know? or asked that feels like a really bad like no i think 
a, like a, a youth sense. pastor's like um, yeah. <laughs> message for the day. You guys yeah. have seen Pinocchio, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's what the animist religions kind of like. That's one of their major strengths in terms of that their they, their societies tend to be more ecologically sustainable because yeah. they thank the earth for providing this thing for them. There's the sustainable harvest within North American relig- indigenous religions of saying only take mm-hmm. like one out of three or whatever. Like there's really practical rules which apply then to be literally just sustainable yeah. rules. But I it mean, comes from a religious root. A lot of it is language differences. And that's mm-hmm. why I mentioned the Geppetto example, because I know most Christians and monotheists would balk at the idea of like thinking that a rock or a tree has a soul. Mm-hmm. But this is why I was saying, like, you don't have to really frame it like that. You can just say, but it was made by Geppetto, mm-hmm. capital G, Geppetto. Yeah, it's definitely a language thing. I think with thanks in particular, a lot of languages literally just have words for it. Like in Mandarin, there's just a word to say thank you before a meal and a word to say thank you after. And the word encapsulates thanks to the farmers, thanks to the earth, thanks to the hands that made it. Mm-hmm. And then the one afterwards is thanks, like, please nourish my body. But it's just like one word, but we don't really have that in English. And so we lack the concept. And then yeah. as we learn about indigenous North American traditions, it's like there's just words for things. There's words to mean like, yeah, to mean thanks, but like thanks to the sun and thanks to the fire. And we just don't have that concept in English because we've been founded on like the language is founded on one way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, we have yummy. Delish. And, and we have yippee. Yep. <laughs> we have a lot of those kind of words. Zooey mama. Mm. A recent addition to the to the language. <laughs> villain of the week, do we have? You didn't do a villain of the week? Oh, okay. Well, I guess you can do two next week. And for today, we can just say it's Satan. Well, I guess it's so obvious. That yeah. We... He's kind of like the villain of the year when you think about it. Yeah. Or the, the the millennium, indeed. <laughs> hate that guy. <laughs> On that note, thank you all for listening. And if you want to also shake your fist at Satan <laughs> with us, contact us by email through the link in the description. And you can also buy our zines. Alicia makes some really nice clothes. There was a new thing. What's that called? The new the, kind of... The quilt jacket? The, yeah, the jacket thing. Yeah. There's a new kind of jacket thing on there, which is really nice. She also posts about it on IG sometimes, but she doesn't really like doing that. But the link is there. And yeah, I guess tell your friends.